know why these pants are dead. Carol fucking Baskin. Wanna know how that turd got there? Carol fucking Baskin. Wanna know how it turned gay? Carol fucking Baskin. Wanna know why I can't play a core right? Carol fucking Baskin. This here dog used to be a tiger. You wanna know how it changed? Carol fucking Baskin. Fucking bitch. Fucking bitch. Fucking bitch. Bitch. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Just Effin' Send It podcast. So, I'm sure everyone in the world has been all up to date on Joe Exotic and the Tiger King. Man, he he kind of took on by storm, and he can't do shit about it from the fucking pen down there in Oklahoma. But, uh, yeah, our thoughts are with you, Joe. <laughs> Such a goddamn train wreck down there in Oklahoma. Um, not of any offense to my Oklahoma listeners. You know, you guys are awesome and everything, but, uh, holy shit. He is a product of Oklahoma. I like him. Look, I would love to hang out with him. Now, it definitely ain't turning me gay cause I don't do meth, but I'd love to hang out with him and maybe, uh, drink a, a cold beer with him. But, um, <laughs> man, that's some crazy shit down there. And, uh, that kill fucking Baskins. Guess what, motherfuckers? <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I got another one for you guys. Hold on a second. Guess what, motherfucker? <laughs> Coronavirus! <laughs> oh, God. I love the internet. Oh, the internet is such an awesome place. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, it's been... Uh, I took a week for me to get the... Um, interview with Mike up um, due to uh, my dumbass not knowing how to convert an mp4 file into an mp3 audio file and uh, like I, I mentioned we had a, a listener um, that uh, took it upon himself to take care of that for me and I appreciate that um, I gave him a shout out in the show notes um, but uh, then last week look I know we've got nothing but time because of this coronavirus shit. And so I could have pumped out like 10 episodes, but really because I'm here, because I'm here so much now, it's just more shit to do. And with my son and my wife working from home and Jesus Christ, it's been, I really wanted to park up 45 in my brain pan the last, um, few weeks not not because of them it's just this whole thing sucks man i need some fucking normalcy in my life um it's it's crazy this is absolutely crazy and unprecedented the only problem is now is that this is going to be the new precedent so anytime somebody farts and sneezes at the same time we're going to have a fucking global shutdown and everybody's going to be social distancing, keep your social distancing, and, and lock down the economy, and let's ruin everybody's lives instead of letting them get sick and, and beat it and maybe gain some herd immunity. Let's all just, let's all play this fucking game. Um, you know, China, China, as old DJ would say, DJT. Um, they, they've got to pay for this. 
because my my here this is what it is. It's my opinion, but it's fucking right. Alright? It's true. If you think in the bottom of your heart this came from some motherfucker that ate a bat, I got some land on the moon to say. Um because this was one hundred percent bioengineered. Now the question is that that's not even a question. And um I have a source that actually works for the CDC that said that she can't they the CDC cannot come out and say it outright because they have to have that 100% concrete evidence to like the smoking gun right kind of like a murder trial they know the guy did it but they have to find the weapon it's the same uh scenario as this but they said that whenever they do find it they're going to release that this is man engineered this was man made this was not some shit for some goddamn bat um that one person ate and then it infected or affected everybody that's not what happened now the real question is was is was it released on purpose or was it an accidental exposure then widespread after that that is the real question now because of the way China played it, one really isn't any worse than the other. The reason why is because, all right, if it was maliciously uh, let loose, basically, the cat was let out of the bag, the genie was let out of the bottle on this, um, then, I mean, that's that's some absolute heinous, sadistic, sadist shit that we know Xi Jinping is if if he could get away with it, he would cause more death than Hitler and Stalin would or did. That would be that would be the case. Um, he can't get away with it in 2020. Um, but we, I, I feel confident that we would be the targets for that. Not only that, but his own demographic. The reason why is because a, I think I mentioned this before, a. This virus spreads unlike almost any other virus, meaning you are infectious at least five days before you're symptomatic. That's unlike almost anything, right? Um, that would promote the spread, right? That would promote the ability for the virus to spread. Um, well... That plus the target demographic of who is most affected by this. Okay. So obviously we know people that are either elderly or sick. Let's, let's be honest here. If you're elderly and or sick, not saying this is the hundred percent case all the time, but you have a higher chance of not being a quote unquote productive member of society. You're not contributing. You're more, you're not an asset. You're a liability in, in a grand scheme, sick way of looking at it, um, which I don't agree with, but you're either a retired and no longer in the workforce. You are B on some type of government assistance 
you are C, probably not procreating and having children anymore to produce the next generation. Um, all of those things would be in a place like China that is super, if you want to say overpopulated, then that would be something that you would look into if you were a sick piece of shit. Um, you know, they need younger people, less older people. They need, they need more young people, less older people. Um, if to think that that would ever stay content, let's just say that they maliciously released this on their own population, which is where it started. But let's say that was the, that was the plan. That's what they wanted to, that if they could in a bubble release this to only China, just to, to quote unquote, fix their own problem they have. There's no way on God's green earth that anybody in that decision making could, would suspect or think that it would be fathomable for it to stay contained within China's borders. So with that said, then that means they knew it wouldn't. So that means they also were completely okay with killing thousands upon tens of thousands of people, potentially millions. If everything plays out like they're talking about, um, that that's fucking sadistic at its essence. That's horrible. I mean, horrible is not even the right word. I don't even know what to call it. Okay. But let's just say, all right, it was accident. Yeah, we made the virus. Um, the, the top people that were in charge at that, uh, in that, uh, virology, uh, lab in Wuhan, China, where it got started, where 20 miles or whatever from that market that it supposedly came from. Um, yeah, right. How convenient, right? Um, they're missing. When I say missing, yeah, we know they're dead, but China says they're not. And everyone close to them, uh, civilian reporters and investigators cannot find them. They're missing. No, they are, they are a pile of ashes probably in the, you know, buried in a hole somewhere. They are dead, but they're not officially dead. They're just actually dead. Okay. That's one. Their death rate? 3,000? Are you kidding me? That was in the first two weeks, I bet. Try 10 times that, and you're probably looking, no, not even 10 times that, probably easily 25 times that amount is what's probably dead in China. They're kill they were burning people that weren't even dead yet. They were incinerating terminally ill due to COVID-19 people. Like literally just that's something exactly what Hitler did just to healthier people. Just incinerating them. So he took a page out of the Nazi playbook. Um, and uh, if, if, if you're going to, if that's going to happen, it was accidental. Okay. Patient X was a employee of that um, lab. They get sick. They show symptoms. They have been in spreading due to the design of the virus. They've been spreading that virus before knowing they even contracted it probably. Um, 
unless it was something very obvious that they were exposed, like, oh shit, I just exposed myself to this, which who knows, we'll never know. Um, but instead of getting out in front of it with for the world community and for the world's well-being, China swept the shit on the rug, and they're going to just let it play out. They're going to try, you know, they've always had like a fucking iron curtain around them to where it's hard for any information to be leaked out of China. Dude, I, I, I watched a documentary. It's a little bit off base, but kind of related. Um, I watched a documentary on uh, Zhejiang, China, which is a place of ethnic Chinese Muslims and how the surveillance state in that area and how they're basically put in re-education camps, not, no contact with anybody for months or years. They come out, they're brain, fucking brainwashed. Um, it's, it's sick, but the, they go undercover, the documentary, the filmmakers go undercover with the companies that provide the security equipment for the state, uh, the you know, cameras, whatever, the software, the artificial intelligence, holy shit that is the scariest that is the scariest thing i've ever seen and they're they even said without being knowing that they're being recorded they even said that this is going you know this has been implemented in other places in china and other countries around the world are inquiring about this and interested basically in this kind of shit that is the scariest thing i can think of one of the things was they said that in anybody who walks past the cameras, if they look suspicious, meaning their facial, they said, we read the facial expressions. If they look guilty, we send a task force in there to go get them. They said that if they avoid looking at the cameras, if they're not smiling, they investigate. If they try to conceal themselves, if they run past cameras, they're arrested. That is utterly fucking terrifying to think that, hey, we could be five years from that, 10 years from that, 15 years from that. The 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 Fourth Amendment be damned. is fucking terrifying. And that's the world we're living in. And it's only going to get like that in other places. It's only going to digress to that i think and it's terrifying i'm not a you know tenfold hat guy but you know uh, you can kind of just see how that could be appealing to governments and you know especially governments without constitutions like ours and not that really today's politicians give a motherfuck about our constitution um yeah, but it's that's the those are the people who we're talking about that we are expecting to be honest with us with this whole pandemic that that they started their shit. This is their baby. It needs to be laid at their fucking feet. You know, I'm I'm pretty damn libertarian, and I'm not. I'm not gonna say I'm anti-war. It's that I'm anti-needless, perpetual bullshit war. You know, I mean, I'm all for, you know, if it was something that needed to be done, which is a very rare instance, um, you know, let's do it. Let's kick. Let's do it. Let's do it right. Let's kick fucking ass and take some names and then and then come to fuck home. 
But if oh, if if old Orange Man said we're going to war with China, Dad, I could tell you, I'm just about like, hey, motherfucker, let's do it. Let's roll up. Sign me up. You know it. That's how fucking pissed I am, and how much I hate those goddamn Chinese communist pieces of shit. Um, I feel so bad for the citizens of China because not only are they victims of all this shit, they're also like forced narcs to just narc. It's almost like the KGB and, um, in Russia, everybody is basically working for the state. Everybody's narking on their neighbors. That's exactly what's going on in China right now. Um, it's, I I feel bad for them. I really do. And. It's, it's fucking sad. The world we live in right now, guys, it's, it's fucking sad and it's scary. Um, all right, let's get on with some show topics. Let me get up my, let's see what I've got here. Uh, a little bit about the Dasher. What's going on with that? So I've switched to, all right, before I go there. So I had a load that shot really well in uh, the Virgin Alpha Brass. And then I was having problems in load development and messing with this brass. And then I ended up bumping the shoulders back to virgin spec, uh, which was like six thou. And I landed the load I landed on there was only a tenth of a grain uh, more than the the virgin brass. Right. The virgin load uh, gave me like 30 feet per second still. And I mean, at a hundred groups were great. The spreads were great. Speed was fine, but we went shooting and I wanted to true them out the distance. And for some reason at a thousand, I was getting like stupid high flyers. Like I'd put three inside the center of the, of the plate at a thousand. And then the, I mean, no difference in anything, no difference. And I'm, I'm shooting over a chronograph with a, you know, 30 or 20 shots being having an SD of five, um, just, you know, have three or four right there in a, a fist size group at a thousand. And then the next one go half a mil high and just sky mail the plate. And then that was like, it was like a recurrence. It would, you know, shoot two or three and then boom, throw one high, shoot two or three, right where it's supposed to be. Boom, throw one high. And I'm like, man, this is some bullshit. Like at, at 500, I shot like a couple of groups, like four or five shot groups in the 0.4s, 0.3s at 500. I mean, that's, you know, stupid. And that was in wind too. So I, I don't know what's going on. Um, I just have kind of lost confidence in the alpha brass. I know a lot of people are having success with it. And it's, I know it's different than Lapua. So going to Lapua. And I'm playing around with seating depth. Um, with the Lapua brass, it's hard. I think just on random charge weights, I think the the worst SD I had was like 11. And I've had SDs in the ones, uh, fives, you know, most of them around that seven to four mark. Um, just super consistent. But as far as the groups go, um, yeah, playing around with, with that, I, it, I've got a 27-inch barrel, so your typical load correlated with a, a typical speed node is, I guess it's a little bit different, because 32.5 is typically 
that 2950 node with a 26 inch barrel. Um, this is with Varget. So 32.5 grains of Varget, um, you know, burgers jump 20 thou. That's typically your 2950 node. Uh, 32.5 grains of Varget. I'm like 3017. Like it's stupid fast. Um, so I back down. I want to go on either the 2950 node or down, um, just to allow for, you know, those hot, super hot, uh, super hot days in the summertime, rain, any type of moisture, dirt and chamber, just to stay clear from pressure issues. So 31.8 gives me, depending on my seating depth, changes that. Um, but right around that 2930 to 2910, uh, depending on like the seating depth I said. Um, and I've read that article. Um, shit, I done forgot where the, um, what article, or who wrote the article. Uh, well, I know uh, Mark Gordon wrote the article with uh, short axis precision. Um, but where did he post that article? And we'll look it up right now. Um, well, goddamn. How about that? Can't find it. Um, anyway, it was about basically um, seating depth. The whole thing was based off seating depth, the whole article. And uh, see, Scott Satterley was um, referenced and quoted, and you know he contributed to the article. He's been working with Mark uh, on this for a couple of years now, apparently. And a couple of other notable names were also mentioned in there with their input on it. But they're talking about bullet jump and how bullet jump is, you know, everybody does the nowadays. It's like if you're further than thirty thou then you're like, what the hell's going on? Like it's always 20 thou, 15 thou, 10 thou, 5 thou jammed, you know, burgers or hybrids are typically known to shoot well at 20 thou off the lands. Um, you know, and they're talking about chasing the lands through that barrel's life when using that seating depth and how they found that using way more jump, they're getting the same groups you know, group quality, but yet that group, it's almost like the further away it is from the lands, the less it cares about the jump. If that makes sense. So whereas if you're shooting, let's say the 105 burger in a six creed more and you put 500 rounds down it and then your lands move or your throat, you know, burns out. And so you're, you're chasing those lands. You're having to change your seating depth and your load, tweak it, uh, throughout that barrel's life. It's because, well, you found your load 20 thou off the lands or 10 thou off the lands where this is all mountain. If you find the load that 70, you know, 80, 85, 100 thou off the lands, it shoots just as good. You just got to find it and then you can basically just leave it there and throughout that barrel's life, never change your seating depth. Isn't that what we all want? A plug and play load to where we're not. You know, after every match, you know, they're talking about, you know, I forgot how many thou uh, removed material moved from the throat after X amount of rounds or whatever. And it was I didn't realize that it was that much. Um, but and that's also depending on the cartridge you're shooting, too. So like obviously a BR isn't going to be as abrasive on a throat as a Creedmoor is. But you get what I'm saying. But, uh, 
you know, you don't want to be chasing those lands after every match. Like, oh, well, let me you know, scrub my throat out and get the carbon out, the carbon ring out, make sure I'm testing off of a clean chamber. And then you're like, oh, crap, my, you know, my chamber has bumped, you know, 15,000. I need to change my seating depth 15,000 out, right? Whereas, like Scott was talking about, getting 60 thou or more of free bore added to his with a uh, reamer added to his chambering so where like you're not having to you know stuff the bullet way down in the case neck as much as you just have a, a longer free bore and then it having a whole lot of time in the free bore before entering the lands and he he was also on i tell you what one of the best podcast episodes i listened to was um what was the number? And I'll, I'll reference it for you guys. It was uh, it was a modern day sniper. It was Kalen and Phil's podcast, um, and they had um, Scott Satterley on as a guest. And it the whole episode was about reloading. And he kind of goes through. Now, of course, everybody has questions, and you know they have their own questions, and at want would love to ask Scott. And I think they're allowing that, or they're facilitating that. You've got questions, go ask. Uh, in like the comments or email or something like that and they want to bring it up to um to scott again probably have them on for another episode which is awesome but episode 14 of the modern day sniper one of the best episodes of most any precision podcast i've listened to because when scott satterly talks you listen okay when it comes to shooting of course but especially when it comes to reloading because he's such a smart guy he's just got the shit figured out um, and he's got, I mean, he's got a, a chamber that he's jumping a bullet like 230 thou. That's retarded. That's ridiculous. But he says a one hole gun in this, in the, it shoots the same shit, the whole life of the barrel. And if you think about it, you're probably, it lends itself to give you more barrel life as well. If you're not, if you don't have that bullet, just a uh, cock hair from the lands and then boom, all the, all the combustion, the heat, the powder, the carbon, all, and not to mention that bullet so close to the lands where it is literally like squishing that bullet into the lands. He mentions the he the way he thinks it's going on is when that bullet's got more time than free bore. It's not as I guess you would say these are my terms like violent going into the lands as it would be with that bullet really close. So that lends itself to make sense to where you got more barrel, you know, you got more barrel life, you know, um, it's almost like trying to push, uh, like you, you're holding the end of a water hose with your thumb to make, make it shoot and, you know, spray further that type of deal that, that water is the bullet and your thumb and the spigot or the water hose end is the, it's basically the throat of your chamber and you're squeezing it in for that water to get all that pressure to go. Um, it's, it makes complete sense that it would, uh, be harder on, on your throats because I mean, let's be honest, that's the first thing to go on any barrel. It's not the, it's not the bore. The bore is fine. That's why you can set barrels back, um, or change the, the chambering. You know, you can, if you were shooting a six BR and you shot, 3,000 rounds through it, you know, you could probably go with a six Creedmoor reamer and then have almost a whole six Creedmoor's barrel life out of that same blank. So the, the bore is not the issue. Um, it's definitely the throat 
and heat is your enemy. Uh, and so that's just, it's just more pressure and more pressure equals more heat and also means more velocity. But, um, it's, uh, there's something to be said about that. So I've got my 31, eight load, which, um, I've got right here. I've got 30 thou, 50 thou, no, excuse me, 30, 40, 50, 80, 100, and 120 thou. And Scott mentions, I'm going to try all those. Let me tell you something. The 120 thou round, it looks like you fucked up. <laughs> it looks like you, your dial was not set up right when you were loading Dasher. And it, it it's so short compared to like a, a 20 thou or a jam, a real long 105 burger coming out. This looks like you fucked up. And uh, anyway, if you look in the burger manual, Scott references it in that podcast. He says, look, if you just look in the burger manual, it'll tell you, you know, it'll tell you don't doesn't tell you to start at five and ten thou or a jam. It tells you to start at, you know, 30 and go all the way out to one hundred and fifty thousand or something like that. I've got a burger manual right here beside me, but I'm not I haven't looted up yet. I took his word for it. But uh, if you haven't listened to that episode of the modern day sniper, you need to go listen to it. It is a phenomenal episode when uh you know caitlin's been loading for a long time and and he knows what he's doing too and you know phil's kind of i guess just recently the last couple of years gotten into reloading um but i mean let's be honest phil he's obviously doing something right because you know he shoots so well um but he even says that when talking in this podcast he was like i've been doing this shit ass backwards apparently um that was funny um but you know, Scott has such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to reloading. Um, and uh, what's something that's crazy, he, he reloads his his training ammo, but he shoots prime with 115s in the uh, Six Creedmoor in matches. And he's doing production. He's got a produ- that new uh, Savage production rifle that he's using. Uh, I don't even know what the fuck it's called. Um, and he's doing really well with it. Uh, but he's based, from what I understand, he has had a reamer cut to spec for that 115 RDF uh, prime ammo to give it that, you know, he basically took reverse engineer it, right? So he took the prime ammo and measured it and then figured out where he wanted his jump to be and then added that to the freebore of the reamer he had made. Right. So now when they cut his his barrels, he's got X amount of hundred thou uh, jump on factory ammo. Right. So, you know, that's pretty cool. So I imagine it's shooting really good in his rifle. Um, I didn't have very good luck with the 107s. I haven't shot the 115 stuff, but I'll tell you my six Creedmoor barrel, which I mean, it shoots great with the uh, the federal uh, 105 stuff. And Hornady six creed more, it shoots it great. It did not like that 107 prime. Like SD was horrible, and the group was atrocious. But I also have a friend of mine, Eric, who has a six creed more, and his was like with the same ammo, was shooting I think in like the point threes. So it's it's just how it's going to shoot in your gun. I could probably buy a bunch of it and you know ch- throw it in my die and change the seat and depth on it, probably tune it in pretty good, but it's factory ammo. I ain't, that's the reason why I buy the shit is because I don't want to reload that. So, uh, but anyway, we're going to see how this 31.8 load with all of these different scene depths. And another thing I'm trying, trying to do is find a day where the Mirage is not so fucking bad 
And for some reason, I guess it North Carolina forgot that it's April now and not March because it every day it's been super windy. In fact, we had a storm last night, a windstorm in this, in this morning. I mean, shit was sideways. I mean, I felt like it was Oklahoma out here. And, uh, I mean, trees going down, everything. And it's just been windy every day, like averaging that 12 to 18 mile an hour winds. And it's most time always coming from my three o'clock. Um, but it's gusty too. So, you know, it's, I want to find a day where it's cloud cover and, you know, little to no wind to be able to give, you know, these, what, 30 rounds, uh, an honest try to where it's not, I want to remove as many variables as I can out of it. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure with this Lapua brass, everything is going to be Gucci because Lapua is just, it's the standard in just about every caliber. I, I have heard that they were having problems with 260 brass, but I don't shoot 260, so I don't give a fuck. But everything else that I've got that uh, I have in Lapua brass has been absolutely wonderful. And I'm not saying I'm not going to give Alpha another try, but right now I just want to nail down the go-to load with with the Lapua and then go back and visit that. Um, I'm asking to get some more bullets, I reckon, and primers. I think I'm on my last 1,000 of my 450s. Um, all right, what we got next? Um, I was going to do uh, an episode on, I, I mentioned it in one of the other episodes, about equipment. And I mean the array of equipment that one needs in shooting a match and the differences. And I mind you, I'm going to, I'm going to preface everything with the, with each thing that I mention with something that I've had my hands on. And so, or I've either owned it, I've had my hands on it. And I also listen to the opinion of the people I trust. But if it's something that like I've never seen before and I've just heard about it, if I bring it up at all, that's what I'm going to say. I'm like, I don't know about this, but from what I've been reading on Sniper's Hide or some friends of mine that I know they were having problems with this or they were experiencing that or this was great because of this, I'll, I will mention that. I'm not going to speak on everything from the same perspective because I can only tell you indefinitely on about the things that I've had my hands on and what I experienced with them. So let's just say, for instance, I'm talking about a certain action that I either have had or have and I haven't had any problems with it, and then you've got the same action, and you've had nothing but problems with it, I can't help you there, because I don't know about it. I'm only going to talk about things that I know, and, um, and I've got a list of kind of a little bit of everything broke down. Um, I guess we'll start with actions. Um, that's, uh, I guess the heart of every build is the action. Um, you know, f- you know, Frank, Frank Galley mentions all the time that the action is just the delivery device and that you know 95% of the accuracy comes from the barrel and you know 95% of that actually does come from the chambering of the barrel so that is true this is all true but in given the situation that we're in as precision rifle practical tactical super snipery you know whatever matches you know PRS NRL matches you know the the action is very much so important not because of accuracy per se um, I can get a Remington or a Savage to shoot a bullet just as accurate as I can a, a Defiance. It's just getting that bullet reliably into that chamber and into that barrel is going to be where you're going to separate 
the savages from the defiances, right? So um, just touch on a few of them. Of course, you all know I'm an Accuracy International fanboy, fanatic. Um, I love them. Uh, it is to me, and I'm going to have a whole lot of people disagree with me, but it's going to probably be just as many, if not more, that do agree with me, that the Accuracy International action is the most solid, robust, well-thought-out, well-designed, three-lug, battle-ready, most reliable action on the planet. Okay, well, now, we're also not taking into the, into account, I say that with one caveat, we haven't, um, we haven't seen the Hoplite Arms action in the wild yet. I haven't had my hands on it. There hasn't been any reviews or testing because Theus is still um, getting all that squared away. He's doing it right. He wants to make sure everything is perfect before it hits the market instead of, instead of having these snafus and shit be fucked up and then have to you know fix everything or change everything or there be a first gen, second gen because first gen was fucked up. No. He wants it 100% perfected before it goes into the single first customer's hands right um so his action looks super promising and i'm really excited about finger fucking one of those things and uh it it looks awesome it's basically like if you if ai and tika had a love child it's kind of what his action reminds me of he may disagree with me and he obviously would know better than me given that he designed it and created it but that's what it looks like from my dumbass perspective um, I absolutely love Action Nationals. They are, yeah, they've got the heavier bolt lift, a little, you know, none of it bothers me at all. On a barricade, in fucked up positions, prone, does not matter, don't care. It's fast. I can, I can literally rape that bolt like a fucking gorilla. And if I want to, which I don't run a bolt that way anyway, but if I wanted to, I could. Um, but, and I have no problem staying on target, but it is heavier. It's not going to be that one little finger like impact um, bolt lift and close, you know, no, it's a three lug 60 degree war machine. That's what it was meant to be. It was not meant to play these games that we play. It was meant to, you know, shoot motherfuckers in the face from a long ways away and reliably do so in any theater that that rifle could, be, could find itself in. Right. So that's what Action National is meant for known for. Um, but yet I think it still makes a kick ass, competition rifle i will add on that once i get to the chassis portion of this podcast um let's see what uh my other rifle is a john hancock which everyone knows is it's serial number two um it is a uh, american rifle company nucleus now there's a whole thing about that when it first came out and i i experienced it as well i've had i've actually had a nucleus and this john hancock i sold the nucleus to help fund my ai back in the day um which back in the day was a couple years ago or a year and a half ago um but uh you know it's the two i've had have never never gave me problems and except for when i had certain triggers in them um I still run the 16 pound spring. That was the thing is the, the problems with the nucleuses were the, it didn't have enough, um, I guess inertia on the firing pin from the spring. Uh, so they end up going from a 16 pound spring 
and they started sending out 19 pound springs to the customers and then putting them in the guns and uh it definitely added the weight now i'll tell you for a three lug action of mine it's not a 60 degree so it's a little bit different it's a 72 degree or 75 degree bolt throw um it is it is the lightest bolt throw uh bolt lift bolt close of any three lug on the market period more so than the terminus more so than the curtises more so than the gap tempest it's lighter the, the deadlines it's lighter than all of them but i can't run aw mags because ted apparently has uh has a thing against aw mags and i love aw mags so i'm running his mags in my uh my dasher um but anyway i still had the 16 pound spring uh, a lot of people were having problems. They didn't run right with certain triggers. I will say they run perfect with a trigger tech. They run perfect with a CG Jackson um, Mod 22 trigger. Um, and they it ran pretty good with large rifle primer. And I only say that because I didn't shoot anything small rifle in that other rifle when I had a Timney Cabin Elite uh, uh, two-stage. Um, I didn't have, I didn't, the only thing I shot was factory six, five creed more than that rifle really. Um, so I didn't have a problem with that. Mostly it's the small rifle primer stuff that it's having a problem with. Um, and another thing I, when I had, when I first got my Hancock, I, I put the 16 pound spring in it cause it came in the 19 pound spring and I liked the bolt lift from it better. And I, uh, I was getting uh, a few light primer strikes. It was super duper cold outside at the time. It was like January. And I was shooting 6BR and I was shooting uh, CCI 450s. And that's uh, notorious for having a harder cup of the, of the small rifle primers. So I switched to Federal 205M and never had a problem. Like it, after I switched over, and honestly, it could have been a bad, uh, a bad lot of primers from the 450s because I've got 450s running in that action now. Mind you, it's not cold outside, but I've shot it in the 30s or 40s um, with 450s, and it it didn't have a problem. Um, but I switched to two of the Federal 205 in primers, no problem at all. The action has been flawless. I love it. Uh, the control round feed, three lug, the extractor is super robust. Um, the uh, mechanical ejector, if you run that bolt hard, it will throw the brass a country mile. Now, the only problem that I find with that is, is with these BR base cartridges, at least on mine, it throws them at like the one o'clock. So it throws them in front of me. Um, it will throw them right in a bucket. If you put the bucket at one o'clock, um, it's, they're perfect. They're not sporadic at all. They're in the same exact area. Now if you run the bolt slow. It'll just kind of fall down, you know, because it's mechanical ejection. So it's not a, it's not a big deal. It's not going to be the same, uh, no matter how you run the bolt. It's going to, you know, if you just pull the bolt back slowly, it'll drop right there at your feet. Um, anyway, moving on. Tikas. I, I love Tikas. I have, I currently have one. I've had three. Um, they are for a production factory action that you would pick up off the shelf at any store or online you will not convince me that there's a better factory action than a Tika because I've had them all. I've had Savage. I've had Remington. I've had Bergara. I've had, uh, shit. What else? I've had them all. All of your big box store guns. I've, I've had them all. Tika's butt fuck all of them. 
uh, especially when you couple them with like a start sweat bolt handle and, and bolt shroud. It's a kill. I, I would be completely okay if I had the right chassis for it. Uh, I'd be tempted to run my shit in a match just because I love the way it cycles. I love the way it's a very accurate action. It is um, so smooth. It's, it's an amazing action. I've never had a hiccup. Not one time I've ever had a hiccup with a Tika. Now, I know the bolt stops are supposedly the weak link. Well, if you don't run them like a retard, then you'll never break a bolt stop. Um, so I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed my Tikas and I love my always for new shooters, people looking for that first precision rifle. Uh, I always try to push them if at all possible into the Tika direction. Um, you know, you can buy the cheapest T3X in whatever 308 based bolt head and scrap the barrel, scrap the, um, stock and scrap the rail you but you know you paid five hundred dollars for it that's a little bit more than a remington action is and then build it from there build off of that go get you a pva prefit there's a tons of companies doing uh tika prefits and not just pva i enjoy pva i've shot you know pva barrels for a long time uh i'm obviously biased towards pva but i'm also honest about them too it's i've never had a non-accurate pva built rifle uh period um and in fact, he did my first Tika and it was, it was actually a, um, a barrel nut barrel, a savage prefit with a barrel nut. And I, I had spaced it with a fucking piece of, um, factory 140 ammo with a, uh, piece of scotch tape on the case head. And that's how I, how I had spaced it. And I'm telling you, it was amazing shooting gun with factory ammo and with hand loads. Um, but, uh, and I regret selling that Tika. I do. I sold it. I had an MPA chassis. Um, and it was such, I don't know why I got rid of it, but I did. And I shouldn't have. And I won't again. I'm not selling any more of my Tikas. Um, I've got one currently. It is in a KRG Bravo stock. I bought this rifle specifically. I was like, I won't be tempted to build it because I just want a reliable 6.5 Creedmoor hunting rifle. Um, it's always good to have a six, five Creedmoor for hunting. <coughs> Coronavirus. Um, it, it's always a good idea because you can go anywhere now and find ammo for it. It's a pleasure to shoot. It's super accurate. Um, and, uh, Tika barrels are super accurate. They're super slow as shit, but they are very accurate. Um, I've got the 24 inch. I wanted a 20, 20 inch CTR, but I bought a 24 inch CTR because I got a good deal on it. Sent the bolt to LRI for him to flute it. Uh, had a Sturk bolt handle and I bought a Mountain Ops um, bolt shroud for it. And uh, boom, it's, it, it's a great shooting rifle. It is, uh, it weighs, I mean, like with the scope, I've got, what I got on it? I've got a, Athlon um, Cronus BTR that I had laying around, I put it on it, and um, I mean the thing weighs like like 8.9 pounds. Or look, I'm in East North Carolina. I'm not looking for sheep, right? Nine pounds is a super light rifle for me here. I look, I'm walking max 300 yards from my truck to a you know either a lock-on stand or a box stand. 
that's the type of hunting we do here. Uh, that's super light. Man, my three and a wind mag is a heavy ass pig, and I take it all the time and uh, with a suppressor on it. And also, I plan to shoot this Tika, nothing but suppressed, too, when I'm in the woods. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Tika actions, I cannot say. If you gave a Tika action with and did the things that I said in whatever competitor, top competitor's favorite chassis, that if they inlet for it, for Tika, if they won a match with their rifle, had they shot that rifle, same caliber, same everything, the only thing different was the action, they'd still won. Like, no, there's no action that's going to make you win over a Tika, right? Like, my, I've never had a feeding issue. I mean, I've never had any type of issue with my Tikas. I don't know why I don't shoot nothing but Tikas because they just do me so well. Uh, the, the aftermarket is has really stepped up in support of Tika over the last couple of years. And I mean, that's always been the, the only, you know, black eye on the Tika is like, oh, the aftermarket support. Well, you don't have that excuse anymore. Chassis, some of the best chassis uh, available are in letter for the Tika now. Um, triggers, you know, Trigger Tech is dropped. They've got a Tika, uh, a Tika trigger out now, if I'm not mistaken, or they're going to one or the other. But the factory uh, trigger is awesome. Single stage. I've got the Yo Dave trigger spring in it, and I mean it breaks it like a pound and a half. My comp my uh, Dasher has a um, Trigger Tech in it, and I think I've got it maybe at a pound, so a half a pound difference and a factory trigger. You, know, you you paid ten bucks for a spring or make your own spring, you know, uh, you can't beat that. So you you can't say there's no oh not to mention there's other triggers. I mean Timney has a two stage trigger for it if you want a two stage. I think they have a single stage too. Um, the KRG has the Midas trigger. Um, there's, a, there's a couple other uh, trigger manufacturers supporting Tika now. Um, you know, like I said, prefit barrels. They're everywhere. Proof has prefits. LRI has Tika pre prefits. PVA has Tika prefits. Um, there's multiple other gunsmiths that have Tika prefits. Um, there's no, there's nothing you can say. Oh, then maybe, I don't know, can you run an AW mag? You might even be able to run an AW mag on a TK. I've never tried. I don't know. I might do that. I might try it. Um, but bottom line, there's there's not a production line action that I'm going to push more than Tika because I, they've been nothing but good to me, and they are just smooth. If I told you to close your eyes and I put this rifle in your hand and I told you it's a custom action, guess what custom action it is? You're going to be guessing all different kinds of custom actions. You're not going to say, oh, man, I don't know. It feels like a factory you know, action because it doesn't. It feels like it, it cycles and, and is smooth as a factory action. I mean, as a custom action. And uh, it's they're sweet. I've got nothing but good things to say about Tika. Um, you know, impacts. I have uh, Jeff, my, one of my shooting partners. Um, he's got an impact now. He's been a bighorn man for years and uh with tl3s and he he was talking to me months ago and was like man i think i'm just gonna buy me another tl3 i said why don't you try something different you got a couple tl3s i mean just try something you might find something that you like better than this man i don't know i don't i don't think i'm gonna like anything better than these tl3s i'm 
you know, I've been saying that the only action I'm going to buy from now on is a TF3. I said, look, go get you an impact. I said, that's something that everybody seems to like, you know, you know, it's, they're, they're super smooth, super nice. And they, they work well in, in the conditions. Um, and he found one in a foundation because we both love foundations. He kind of got me turned on to foundations as far as buying one. I've always loved them, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Found him a, a, uh, impact in a foundation and got it. And he's in love. And he's like, damn it. Now I feel bad for buying all them TL threes. <laughs> no, he loves his TL three still, and he'll still shoot them and use them. But, uh, he's got that, uh, the other dasher built off that impact with a straight taper barrel painted green with candy stripes. Like I did my, uh, my old AI dasher barrel and we call it the Hulk cock. I think I named it Hulk cock cause it's big and green and like a giant cock from Hulk. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the impacts are known for being the like smoothest running the lightest bolt lift and supposedly run great in dust and mud and water and i'm sure you can gum one them up too but you know that's what they're notorious for is being very um forgiving in the in the elements and they're very good actions and i, I love it the way his cycles i'm not a 90 degree fan guy I, I just don't i don't like 90 degree bolt lifts i know they that's where the smoothness and the light bolt lift and close comes from but Man, I just I, I have to say I'd rather take a sixty or seventy five degree bolt throw and give up. I mean the the, the Tika and really my Hancock is right there in the middle. The Tika's a two lug, but it's got a short it's got a seventy degree bolt throw, right? And then you couple it with a swept back ball handle from Sturk, it's almost like cycling an AI, right? It's ten degrees difference. And, and then my my Hancock or the uh, the nucleus is a three lug. 72 i think is what it is um and you know you don't really tell a big difference between 72 and 60 you tell a big difference between 72 and 90 um and it's they're right there in the middle and so the that's a, a great middle ground but i prefer a 60 degree um over a 90 or or a three lug style um you know bolt over over a two lug 90 degree um, let's see. Oh, another one that I really want to touch on that's really, really impressed me and that I've really just not seen a whole lot of positive stuff other than from the few people that have them. And it is the, um, ultimatum deadline. It's a dead, no, it's deadline ultimatum. Ultimatum is the action. Deadline is the company because they've got the deadline de facto and the, uh, fucking other one, the deuce or whatever. Um, so anyway, yeah, the three lug, um, the first one to come out with the deadline ultimatum. Uh, they had, I think, a little issue on the very first few. I can't remember what that issue was, but they did, in fact, fix it shortly soon after. Right. They they took care of that issue. Now, it's got a great, gigantic fucking bolt body. Right. It's freaky looking when you pull it out and you put it next to like a, I mean, it even, it's even, you know, girthier, um, no homo than my AI bolt. And, uh, that where the problem lies with that is mag latches and chassis that, um, 
kind of cater to that. Okay. Uh, MDT has, I think they have got their ACC is they've got one inleted specifically for the ultimatum. Uh, and then MPA does, I know. And I'm wondering that I noticed a couple other ones. Um, but I'm sure you can tweak any 700 inlet chassis to work. Uh, I know MPAs was probably the easiest to do. It's the adjustable mag catch and you're done. Um, and, uh, CL, my other, me and Jeff's other shooting partner, he has one in, in an MPA and it's, it's, it's probably the most accurate gun I think I've shot. Jeff did the load, the load development. He reloads for CL and uh, PVA built the rifle. Josh built that for him. It is a absolute pig. I know that. It's got a MTU, 26-inch MTU dasher barrel and an MPA with the full weight kit. The fucker with a scope on with a Night Force 735 on it is like 26 pounds. It is... A behemoth. Uh, CL's a big, strong guy, so he can wield it around. I could not. I mean, I, yeah, I could, but I, I wouldn't feel right. I'd feel less um, efficient with running that rifle in a match. But let me tell you something. With that little 95 grain SMK coming out about 3140 out of that big ass rifle, it's literally there. You don't even need a bag. Just set the thing on a on a barricade and put it on target, pull the trigger. It does all that for you. But even at 100. The groups this thing shoots at 100 and how the thing has just never missed a beat. If anybody has missed a fucking target because by shooting that rifle, it was either A, it won't sight it in, or B, you pulled the shot or made a shit wind call. That is the, there's never been a hiccup. There's never been a feeding issue. Not a one. He runs them uh, with AW mags and HRD kits. Um, I'll be honest with you, my AI did not like it does not like HRD kits. I cannot get one. I've got three. I had three. I gave one to CL. I had three. I couldn't get a fucking one to run uh 25 BR or six dasher in my AI. Period. Would not uh, it get to like that seventh round and then it had like four different types of malfunctions it would do, but 100 percent would just malfunction somewhere down the line. Um whereas the PVA spacer kit for the aw mags works great in my you got to tune everything you know uh ais are not built to shoot these little br based cartridges but once you tune the once you tune the mags whether it be the um follower spring or whether it be the feed lips or both you know then it runs like a top but his that ultimatum i had a mag that i literally i did the feed lips in every which way i could i sp- stretched and and bent the the follower spring every which way i could to get the feed in my ai and i was like i'm about to throw this bitch in the trash i said cl here merry christmas gave it to him he loaded it up boom it in his rifle never skipped a beat in that uh ultimatum deadline or deadline ultimatum whatever the fuck it is i can't remember which one's the damn name they didn't do a very good job at either naming their company or naming the action because it's hard to get them straight i don't fucking know uh but it does that action as far as a three a true three lug that you can run a 60 degree that you can run aw mags in uh the ga tempest i've ran the even the ai um over a curtis 
Axiom that I've fucked with. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others out there. Um, definitely more than like any of the, like the Badgers, which, you know, I'm still intrigued by the Badger 2013. Like I want one. I don't need one. I just kind of want one. They look sick. They look like an AI, but you can, they're not, you know, it's, it's, I, I may end up getting one just for nostalgia purposes. Um, but anyway, the, the ultimatum action is, it is, I think like the lightest bolt lift and it's smooth, straight back, cannot bind that gigantic fucking bolt. Like you're not binding it. Like, it's just not happening. Um, I can't say if I were, what I can say is this. If I were going to buy and build or build a custom rifle tomorrow, I'd be pretty hard pressed to not buy one of those or build one of those off of that. Off of playing with his and shooting his enough. And, and I, we've shot number of matches together with him shooting that rifle. It'd be hard pressed for someone to convince me to get something else. You know, I was looking at the terminus actions and it was like, Oh look, it's a Curtis that works. Um, but, uh, you know, he's having problems with it too, from what I've read, uh, feeding problems, but not that something that can't be fixed or, or whatever, but I don't think really any action company is going to have that, uh, 100% stellar. There's people who complain about impacts. They said they've had, they've seen or have had impacts go down like in a match. Um, some are more likely than others. Sure. Some are more finicky than others. Some are more fragile as far as their running conditions. Like, Hey, defiance has had, I love a defiance. Defiance is smooth as shit, but defiance is, uh, and I'm talking about the deviant. Um, you know, Defiance has had the reputation of, hey, you get into some of that Oklahoma talcum powder, that moon dust shit, or Colorado moon dust, uh, it's gonna, you're going to be gumming your shit up and it's not going to run or run more like a, a, a can of ass. Uh, but yet you get it clean and, you know, lubed or whatever, and it's slicker and eel shit. Uh, that's just the thing that Defiance has. They all have their quirks, you know. Um you know, everything has their things that people know about. No, there's not one that's perfect to where there's nobody said they never had a problem with it. Because if it's man-made, men are going to break it. You know, if man can make it, man can break it. So, and that's, they, and man does break it. We do break shit all the time. Whether it be our fault, whether it just be the way the moon's aligned, that shit just didn't happen right. Um, that's the way it is. Um, but uh, let me think of some other actions that, you know, I can mention. Yeah, everybody knows that the Terminus is Joel um, Russo. He left uh, Curtis and uh, and basically owned the patent on the Curtis action and then just renamed it. And then he did, did some few upgrades to it, which I think were probably for the better. Um, but, you know, Joel's a good guy. Great service. Uh, I was really excited about that Borden's uh, was a Super 6 action, that little, like, purpose-built. 6BR cartridge action and with the proprietary mag. And I was like, man, if that thing is done right, that's just going to be tits. And apparently there's been like two or three of them that work good. And then a bunch of others that were people were like, man, I can't get this thing to feed for shit. And well, that's always the problem. What is an action supposed to do? It's supposed to feed. That's it. As Frank says, it's the delivery device. If you can't deliver, then what good are you? Um, let's see. I mean, there's so many action manufacturers. There's more action manufacturers than there are freaking, you know, 
types of underwear. I mean, I, I don't even know what to compare them to. There's some more than more than cars. You know, there's there's so many different actions out there. Um, I tell you what, if there's an action you're thinking about, um, and I've, I've played with a whole bunch of them because I love actions. I think they're cool. I love the way each individual one has their own kind of footprint, right? Or their own fingerprint, I should say. Their own way they cycle, the only way the bolt lifts and smooth they are and hell, even sound they make. Everyone knows AIs sound the coolest when you're, you know, chambering cartridges. But, uh, you know, they, I, I, I just love kind of like as a hobbyist, I love, like, I'd love to have a showcase with just a bunch of actions on it of different types, you know, um, maybe one day when I hit the lotto, I will. But, um, if you have, if you have an action manufacturer or an action in particular that you're wondering about, maybe I know something about it and I can help you. So make a com- you know, comment and, uh, uh, in the Podbean app and uh, we'll talk about it there. If I say, I don't fucking know, I can find somebody else who does. And, um, I will get them to you or get their information to you. Uh, chassis. All right. So the accuracy of session chassis has changed the game for AIs and AI shooters. If you plan on shooting in accuracy international in a competition setting, you are doing yourself a disservice by not getting the accuracy of session chassis. It is, I've already crowed about it on the podcast and a few videos on Instagram and Facebook, but let me tell you something. That thing made me, I loved my AI, but I was like, yeah, I love it. I love shooting it, but it's just really not meant for this. It's because I had an AT in the shit chassis for that. Now, if I'm just, if I'm, you know, out in fucking jungle or the damn desert wanting to shoot Hajis or, you know, fucking gooks or whatever, then that's one thing. The, the AT chassis would have been fine. But as far as what we're doing, when I put it in that chassis and after I let it bond and cure, which was a super easy process, which I was so worried about. I was like, man, my dumb ass is going to fuck this shit three ways a Sunday and on a, you know, $4,000 rifle. And uh, it was easy. I did it. and It was no problem. When it cured, when I put that thing on my barricade in my reloading room where I dry fire and I was like, oh, my God, this thing feels so good. The way it just rode the bag so low, like so close to your bore line, um, as opposed to the damn big ass, really right stuff auxiliary block I had underneath my chassis and that the AXs have as well. Dude, this damn chassis changes everything about the way an Action National is ran in a competition setting. Like, period. It's, it just feels so much better, but I know it makes me more accurate when I'm not fighting that left to right movement on my bag anywhere near as much. Like the stability difference is literally just throw, if I take my rifle in my hands and just kind of like cradle it and just like throw it up onto a, like my mini fortune cookie, it would like stop, land and balance. Like it, the factory chassis, that shit would have done three flips, rolled over and you know, broke something. Uh, it is so much more stable um, when riding a bag or any type of barricade position, you know, rock, whatever. It's it's so much better. Uh, the, also, the length of the forend makes it so much better um, in, in shooting prone. I absolutely love it. And it looks bitching as fuck, too. Um, I'm pretty sure now that I've got that AX buttstock, I'm pretty sure I got the most Gucci AI other than the ASRs. 
you know, I'm, I'm bowing down to you guys with the ASRs. Um, but as far as AT or AXs, I got the most fucking Gucci AI on the planet, I think. All I need on top is probably like a fucking tangent theta with some lasers and shit everywhere on it. Um, and that would make it more Gucci. Um, but anyway, that's enough about the AI. Uh, KRGs. I've had Bravo. I've had a X-Ray. I've had a Whiskey 3. And a, a couple, I actually had three Bravos. Um, I really enjoy KRG chassis. Um, the X-Ray was basically just a midway point between the the Bravo and the, it was the budget option, but then they came out with the Bravo, which was a home run for the amount of money that you're spending. It's super light, which is why I like it for my hunting rifles. Um, uh, it's the budget option now. Um, but the whiskey three is the, you know, the flagship model and you know, they've got six generations of whiskey threes. Um, I had a, uh, gen five and I really enjoyed it. And the only thing I didn't like about it was a little bit of the length of the end. I think it could have been longer. And I had a spigot and everything. Um, the length of the end, And uh, I had a little, it, sometimes I had to hold my mouth right just to get the mags to latch into the chassis. It was completely a chassis thing because it, I got the same exact mags and in my foundation with the uh, KMW bottom metal. I've never not had a magazine go straight in and latch. Um, but I had, it was, that was it. I probably could have fucked with it and, and tuned it, but I ended up selling it, um, for this foundation. Um, uh, so that's, uh, the KRG guys, they are, um, uh, they are, I believe they're all former SF. They're all green berets. Um, and all Sodic guys, hence the name of their rifles. They have their own, uh, I guess a quote unquote production rifle. I mean, it's like a $4,000 production rifle, the Sodic of their three lug action. Um, I've yet to play with one, but they do look cool. Uh, but anyway, those are all really cool guys up there at KRG. I've talked to uh, a couple of them a few times and those guys are great. Um, they're a great company to deal with. They're all, they're veterans. They're all veterans. Like I said, I think they're all, um, they're all SF guys. So, which is pretty cool. Um, let's see. MPAs. I've had, I've had one MPA that was in the Tika. I've shot multiple MPAs from friends, rifles and stuff like that. And, uh, Phil's got the new matrix one. When I first saw the matrix, I was like, what the fuck is that shit? And the more I kept looking at them, and the more I kept seeing them in some of the cool-ass colors, I was like, man, that thing actually looks pretty fucking badass. And now I really like it. So um, I've actually to the point to where if I said, like I mentioned a minute ago, if I was going to do a, a custom build tomorrow, it it would probably be the deadline action. And I'd pro- because it's so like easily fit together and paired together with the MPA, I would probably put it in a matrix chassis. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I would go because foundation, if that, if foundation had an inlet for them, which I would offer, Hey, I'll send you my action if you inlet for it and I'll buy a stock for, uh, from you. I would do that if they would, if they're like, no, we're not interested in doing that. Then, okay, fine. And then, 
I would probably go to the the Matrix because that thing just looks badass now. I don't know why I thought it was so ugly, but it maybe it was just so different. The rear section was just so different from the the you know standard normal MPA chassis. But man, I really dig that thing now. Um, and uh, a lot of cool colors they offer and everything like that. All the all the comp guys got uh, like uh, like. Patty and and Daniel and uh, Brian Lewis, all you guys, you got y'all are all shooting the uh, Frontline Fury with um <laughs> with y'all's Skittles colored matrixes, doing photo uh, photo ops with them. They look cool. Uh, they are really cool um, chassis, and um, I would not think twice about buying one. I would definitely get pick one up for another build if I was doing that. Uh, Manners and McMillan's, they've all kind of always been the, uh, the, the safe place to go, right? Uh, they feel great. Manners and McMillan, both of them. Uh, they feel great. They are very accurate. When you bet them, they're super accurate. They're getting better with some of the options you can put on them to make them competitive with the, the chassis, the CNC machine chassis, where you, there's the options are endless when it's CNC, but when they're molding it out of, you know, fiberglass and composite like this, then you know, their options are a little more limited. So, um, but man, they feel good and they're always a safe place. If you wanted to buy, if you, you know, looking to buy a rifle that someone else had built and it was in a Manners or a McMillan, you know, you might like it. I'd say buy it and try the stock out. And if you don't like it, I'm sure you could sell it pretty quick. Um, uh, they're, they're great. Um, they're not, like I said, they're, they are limited, but I will say this manners fucking one shot show well, that new, uh, stock they got. I'm, I don't even want to get like too familiar with it because I, I want one. And I, and I don't want one. I want one because they're so badass. I don't want one because I don't want to pay $1,800 for a fucking stock. Um, but that thing, they won SHOT Show. Manners literally skull-fucked every other vendor at SHOT Show with that stock. They knocked it out of the park with the adjustable uh, weight system in the rear section uh, the adjustable cant of the butt pad and elevation of the butt pad, um, the cheek piece, the rail, the uh, the four nine, the area four one nine weighted rail they have up front, the way they cut the fore end of the stock to make it more flat and uh, a lower center of gravity when on a barricade as opposed to the older normal you know manner stocks and stuff the ta6s ta5s ta4s all that um man there's just uh, there's so many options i don't even i don't even know what all the all the options are i saw it and i was like oh my god the thing just looks fucking d cups it just looks like a, a nice pair of d cup titties it's so pretty um but uh they that's they're they're not really out in the street yet they will be, but they're expensive. They had a long wait. I'm not saying they're not worth it. It's, they're just not worth it to me when I have other options like like my AI chassis. Is, I mean, well, that's my only only option for it. But and I really love my foundation. Like I fucking love my foundation. Foundations are great. I have the um, Exodus. Uh, you have the wide fore end on the Genesis, and with the what is that? The 
then the hybrid one where it's my the Exodus's grip and the um, Genesis four end. I, I Jeff has all three of them. I think he ended up selling his Exodus that he got. I think, but um, yeah, I I can't see I can't say I felt a big difference. Holy shit! My computer just shit. The, all right, I think I got it. I think we're good. All right, I had some recording issues. Um, I think we're good. Uh, yeah, I didn't feel a difference in the like the way it rode a bag and the stability left to right on on a bag due to the forend. I do, however, feel a, a, the difference in the grip angle and how close it is to the trigger um, in mine as opposed to the Genesis. And so the new uh, foundation, um, it is both right. So, which is what it should done begin with apparently. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love a foundation. Now I'd shoot a Genesis in a heartbeat. Um, no problem at all. In fact, I only got the excess because, well, that's the one that I ended up getting. Um, and, uh, well, I got it, bought it used, paid, uh, got it for a good deal and I've been, rocking it ever since and love it so i'm ready to shoot it in uh whenever the next goddamn match is whenever we have it hopefully the pig river match in june will not be canceled but oh ralph northam did some fucked up shit and said there's gonna be i think a lockdown or something along those lines until like june 10th the match is june 6th and 7th so hopefully we just move it back a weekend and be good i don't know i don't know what's gonna come of that Hopefully this shit gets knocked out in a couple of weeks and we can all go back to living our life and shooting our matches. Um, right, yeah, that's about, I mean, yeah, the eight, the MDT ACC, like everyone knows that's like the new hotness. Apparently everybody last year ran them, um, super adjustable, long ass four end, uh, weight tunable, really good chassis. MDT guys kind of killed it with that. Um, I, I they look great. Um, I wouldn't, you know, hesitate at all to have one. They are awesome chassis. Um, so I just don't feel I'll ever, I'll ever need one. Um, scopes, obviously I, uh, well, shoot for Vortex. I enjoy Vortex scopes. Um, my Razor Gen 2 is awesome. I had a Razor Gen 1. I've had P, I got a PST Gen 2. I've had, uh, I got Vortex, um, red dots. I've got Vortex, um, optics on my ARs. I got red dots on those. They, they make good products. Um, it's going to be, you're going to be hard pressed to prove to me that the, as far as what, for what we're doing for the price, the razor gen two is not the best buy on the market. I didn't say it was the best scope. And I would look at the president of vortex right now and say, the Vortex Gen, Gen 2 Razor is not the best scope on the market. That would be ignorant to say and and untruthful. It's not. It is a badass scope. It is an awesome scope. And for the price, you cannot beat it for the price. Dollar for dollar, you're not, you're not going to beat the, the Gen 2 Razor. I don't give a fuck what knockoff Chinese, you know, OEM'd scope you find you know, come up with, it's not going to be better than a Gen 2 Razor when it comes to glass, turrets, um, your reticle, the durability of it, the zero stop, um, the fucking warranty. Uh, like I said, if man can make it, man can break it. 
Um, like, well, they wouldn't need a warranty if they weren't pieces of shit. Look, I don't know anybody personally. I know people have because, like I said, we break shit. Everybody breaks shit. I don't know anybody myself personally that has sent a Gen 2 razor back to Vortex. I know someone probably listening to me right now has done that. I just put this way, as many people as I know that shoot them, I don't know anyone that had to send their Gen 2 razor back to Vortex. Um, you know, they're the. The spotters are awesome. The new, the new binos. Fuck, I want those new, the new Razor HD. Fucking, what are they called? God damn it! I, I try not to stay too abreast on the stuff that I like. I want, but I don't want to buy, um, because I'll end up buying them. Like I'm a, I am weak willed when it comes to spending money on all of this shit because. We uh we are gear hoarders. I'm a gear nut. I love it, and I just the UHDs. Yeah, the, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, the Vortex Razor UHDs. Um, they are from what now? I haven't had my hands on them, but from the people that I know that I trust opinion and who are more versed in glass than I am, they say those binos. They are the shit, and I want them. I want them. I want them. I want them because I want them to to instead of running a a I want the 18s. I want the 18 by 56s, and they are so badass. I want those four matches to run on my tripod instead of a spotter. The two eyes are just so much better and relaxing than the one all day on a spotter. Those would be the ticket. Those would be everything. And I'm going to I'm going to get those. Eventually, I'm going to get those. Um, you know, I get, obviously, a discount through Vortex. I don't get shit for free. Um, I ain't good enough to get shit for free. And I don't claim to be. But um, I'm, I'll eventually get them. I will. I've already made up my mind. It's happening. I'm getting those. Uh, again, it's 18 by 56 Razor UHDs. And that is it. They're badass. I'm having like I'm trying to either talk myself into or talk myself out of it, and I'm I'm definitely talking myself into it. I'm doing it. Um. Anyway, past scopes I've had. I've had Night Force, Collis, obviously Vortex, Leopold's. Um. The Night Force scopes I am a big fan of. I've had three Night Forces. I had a OG three to fifteen mil R first focal plane. F1 uh, NXS. And Craig, if you're listening to this, which Craig Osborne is a good chance you are listening to this, I'm so mad for trading you that because ugh, that was such a good scope, but I'm glad you got it. I'm sure you still got it, and you let me buy it from me if I offered, or if I offered money for it. That's the type of guy you are, Craig. Um, but anyway, I've had the, uh, and I've had two attackers. I The only problem I ever had with a night force was the attacker I have the trimmer three. It was not illuminated. And I took it on a trophy deer hunt in Kentucky and had a trophy deer in front of me. The glass was so good and it was so early in the morning. It was like the minute of shooting light. Uh as he was walking in and out of my life. I could see him. I I could I could I scored him on the hoof. And he was probably that one fifty-ish mark chocolate horned and I couldn't see my reticle. What a heartbreak. I could see the deer. 
plain as day. 200 yards, I could have killed him 20 times on his walk across me. I could not see my reticle. And on a deer like that, I'm not chancing wounding him. So I said right then and there, I said, when I get back, the day I get back, this shit is going for either for sale or, or trading it. And I traded it for a brand new uh, Millar attacker and some money. And uh, that the Millar reticle is great for hunting. And I know probably a lot of people like it for, for precision shooting matches. And I just didn't like it. I don't like the half mil. I like that two tenths subtension on the on the horizontal stadia. Um, that helps me a lot to know and feel confident in I'm shooting what my wind call is and uh, not fudging it, not knowing oh about point two or point four. I don't know. Um, I like the two tenth subtensions and but for hunting the mill reticle shit. I don't wouldn't need anything more than that. I'd love to have that and all my hunting scopes um they are night forces are bulletproof too um they are great they i've never seen a night force not track perfectly i know there probably has been but I, there happened so few and far between i haven't seen it um the 735's glass is way better than the 520 i gonna say way better it's noticeably better the 525 has got good glass the 735 has got great glass that's just the difference. Good and great. Um, the 735 is probably the most used, was probably the most used scope last year. Um, it's a great scope. CL and Jeff both have 735s. Um, and they are awesome. They're always a pleasure to get behind and to shoot and everything. So they're, they're great scopes. I love, I love Night Force. Um, Night Force products are great. Collis, I've had. I had one Collis. I had um, a 624 with the AMR reticle. Was and then wasn't a big fan of the reticle. Um, but the scope, the glass was good. Um, I could see the uh, collaborations, um, the, the CA. I could see it. Um, but it wasn't that big a deal to me. The turrets felt nice. I love the parallax on the elevation, the bottom of the elevation turret. The left side wind why they don't all have that i don't know um left side wind is is king in my opinion i love left side wind uh but they also have the parallax on the elevation turret so they could they had that spot available that is what i really like about collis um they're a great company got great glass um clarity was beautiful in the collis um, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not just saying this, I'm, I'm being honest. Um, I, I really, I'm really enjoying my gen two razors. Um, they, I love the turrets on them. I love everything about them. Uh, I love the reticle, the EBR seven C reticle. Absolutely love it. It's my favorite reticle that Vortex has by far. Um, let's see, I guess, uh, everyone knows. So Leopold. Leupold shit the bed when it came to the Mark IVs, the Mark VI's, and the Mark VIII's. The turrets were mushy as fuck. The reticles sucked. The glass was was pretty decent. Um, but they didn't track worth a fuck. Because that goddamn kale fucking basking. No, they didn't track worth a fuck. But the Mark V, I don't know who they fired and who they hired. 
the Mark V completely changed the game for Leupold. The Mark V-A, the turrets are a lot better. The reticles, there's a lot more options and better uh, options and reticles. Um, and the glass, the glass is great. But the most importantly, the damn things track. Holy shit. You know what? I would take over a Mark IV or over a Mark VI or even the Mark VIIs, which are were way overpriced, way you know, tried to be over-engineered. I would take a 5 to 20 SWFA uh, 520HD over one of those. Because you know why? Because a fucker would track. If the thing don't track, it ain't worth a damn. Like, it don't... It, no one wants to do the factoring in uh, their um, percentage of error in their tracking. No, they want, if I want 8.7 mils, by God, I should get 8.7 mils when I dial it. Not 8.6, not 8.9, not 9. You know, Mark IVs were all over the place with percentage, well, or just tracking failures and the percentage of failure was ridiculous. Like the failure rate, not only like out of how many Mark IVs, they, how high percentage of them failed, but by how much they failed is ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, they were fairly cheap as far as, you know, Mark IVs are fairly cheap in, as far as today's market goes. Mark VIIs are still expensive and they're pieces of shit. The Mark V is a killer scope. It is a great scope. It's got, uh, it, first of all, it looks better. But first of all, again, it is fucking, and most importantly, it tracks. The turrets are way better. Okay. The glass is great. It is great Leupold glass. And the, the turrets are awesome and the better reticle options, like I mentioned. Uh, the, they they got a home run with with the Mark V. So if you're ever worried about buying a Leupold, they say, in my opinion, they save their company as far as the precision side of the house, not your you know your gold ring Varix three on my three thirty out six. You know, no, they're always going to have those people. If it ain't gold ring, it ain't shit. So the fuds are always going to keep them alive. But as far as being anywhere in the vicinity of relevant. In the precision rifle world, the tactical world, they saved their company with a Mark V. In fact, who was it that I saw? Uh, they're going. They're, the Marines are going to be putting the uh, the was it three and a half to eighteen uh, Mark um, Mark V Leopolds on the uh, M110s, I believe the uh, H and K one. So hey, awesome. Good shit. I'm glad. I'm glad they're going to do it because it's a good scope and it looks cool too. They got that you know desert tan paint or cerakote on it. It looks great. Um, and then Schmittenbenders used to be the gold standard. It was the the thing that every other scope is compared to. You know, back in 2005. But what the fuck have they done? Since 2005, really, I mean, be honest, they, the glass is still great. The glass is still better than most, right? Uh, there's nothing changed about that, but the reticle selection, wait the fuck up, Schmidt, you too, Bender, wake up, get some new reticles, some, get away from this horror shit. 
and trimmer shit and make a cool competition reticle, not that grid squared thing. That thing is hideous. Um, and I'll tell you, I I watched um, we uh, one of the matches that I ROed. Um, I ROed and Dan, if you're listening to this, you're the one you I met you at. Um, it, so we had a, a bunch of third group guys. I think it was was Daniel, Neil, and I forgot the other guys' names, but they all, most of them except for Daniel, were shooting uh, the third group guys, right? So they're um, you know, sniper instructors, uh, Green Beret uh, sniper instructors. And, you know, they came to shoot a match. And Daniel's very competitive and is an amazing shooter. And uh, one of the guys, most of them had work rifles. They had, you know, their, the, um, oh, shit. Either the work rifles or they had work scopes, right? Well, one of them uh, was, um, had a work Schmidt bender Pantone color, which mind you, the thing looked badass. I love those Pantone Schmidt benders. They look so good. Um, but he was having problems like losing a zero. So now I'm like, I'm like, dude, when he came off the line, I was like, dude, you were like two and a half mils low. So go to the hundred yard range, re zero. He went to the hundred yard range, re zeroed and came back the next stage. Boom, boom, boom. He got a good score on it. But the last shot, last couple shots he missed. Um, it was like a multiple target, um, like I think a five target stage. The last target, he was low on both shots. And then uh, the next stage, his first target, he was low. And it was creeping. I was like, dude, you're a mil low on that one. And and then he kept going. Then it, boom, I said, dude, you're two and a half mils low on that last target. And it kept creeping. So he would go re-zero and it would lose two and a half mils of a, like in its zero. Um, so finally he just, I think it had like a fucking H 59 reticle in it. He went and re zeroed and didn't, didn't touch his turrets. He just used his reticle and did much better. But he said, man, we've had like three other Schmidt benders at work do the same shit. That's four Schmidt benders in which is some of our best snipers hands in our military best snipers in our military, you have it in their hands, they're expected to, A, well, teach here, but also to to go into theater, into their AOR, and smoke check motherfuckers, and y'all, y'all choosing scopes that are fucked up, and not having, boom, placements right away, and I'm just like, we got, Schmidt Bender needs to step the fuck up, so I don't necessarily blame the army for that, but, you know, the army's got plenty to go, uh, be blamed for, but, uh, you know, it's just, Hey, Schmidt Bender's always been good. Why are they all sucking ass now? Um, and the biggest thing is just the reticles, man. Just get some better reticles in there, dude. Get hire somebody from like vortex or you know, night force, the, the, uh, mill, uh, mill XT reticle from night force is a pretty cool reticle. I enjoy, uh, enjoy that one. Um, there's tons of reticles. Just make one up. Just make it look better. Look, at, go copy somebody else's and make sure your shit tracks. Uh, tangent theta and zero compromise. They're obviously the, I mean, they're the top dogs. Everybody is now, no, they're not even compared to them. They're in their own world. So the zero comp and the tangent thetas, 
they're in their own world, their own genre of optic. You know, the 735 is like right there, you know, underneath them. But the toolless adjustment, uh, a zero adjustment on the tangent theta, I haven't got to play with one yet. I will. Um, I've played with the zero compromise and looked through them, and I was like, oh, my God. And this was outside. This is out of match. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, this thing is so badass. It was just a beautiful picture. Um, great reticle. The turrets felt, I got a boner and just turned it at one rev, I believe. Um, and I know that the tangent theta is there. They're, they're known for how good they're, did I say reticle? They're turrets. Uh, turning the turrets, one rev, and uh, gave me a complete stiffy. And then I know that uh, tangent theta, their turrets are, you know, awesome as well. I, they're too rich for my blood. Like I said, my vortexes, for what I'd pay, what I paid for versus what I had to pay for those two, I'm happy with my Gen 2 Razor. I mean, honestly. I mean, that's all. There's no bones about it. I'm not saying that my Vortex Gen 2 Razor is in the same area code as the Zero Compromise and the Tangent Theta. I'm telling you that for the money I got to spend on it versus the money I got to spend on either one of them two, I'm completely content and sleep very well at night knowing I've got a couple Gen 2 razors on my rifles. Um, I, probably best dollar for dollar purchase investment I've made in shooting was those two. Other than my uh, um, A&D FX120, I enjoy that. That was the best money I think I've ever spent in shooting was that scale and auto throw. Um, all right. Triggers, that's going to be a quick one. AI comp trigger, I'm liking it. I have it set at like a pound and a pound two stage. Um, and it's, you know, it's very light, not too light. Um, not, I don't have it set as a single stage. That's where people are having mad failures. Is they got that you could, you can, you can take the whole first stage out and then to make it a single stage trigger. Um, I, I like two stage triggers. And so that's what I got it with the uh, flat shoe. Love it. I always keep the factory trigger that has like never goes down. I have it in my pack in case for some reason this one shits the bed during a match. That's the beauty of an AI. In literally three minutes, I have a new trigger in it, no problem. Not doing anything but taking some plastics off, my skin's off my grip, and then two bolts out. Boom. Done. No punches. No, none of that. Um, let's see. Trigger techs. Trigger techs have by far has stuck their dick. In every trigger pussy on the market, they have between the diamonds. I don't have a diamond because I don't need a diamond because I have a trigger tech special because I'm not going below one pound anyway on a field rifle. It's not going to do it. A lot of people do and have at it. Have fun. Mine's going to be guns good right at a pound. So I don't need to spend the extra money on the diamond because I'm not going to go below that. So, um, but you know, even their basic ass, the regular ass trigger, um, is a good trigger. Uh, the diamond is awesome. They, you talk about something breaking smooth is these trigger techs, uh, the special and the diamond. They just, they break so good and solid back wall, no creep, just exactly how you would think of, you know, breaking glass is the adage always used for this. And 
it really is one of the triggers that actually embodies that, in my opinion. Uh, I've had Timmy Cavan Elite. It was really mushy. And this two stage when I had in that old nucleus, it was really mushy. I didn't really like it, but it it worked. So I kept it. Um, the CG Jackson I had. Um, the only reason why I ended up buying a Trigger Tech, I had a CG Jackson Mod 22. Only reason why I did is because it would not fit in my bottom metal because it's kind of like the well, in fact, the same company makes the AI comp trigger, but it has the shoe that just hold, goes on to a bar that's like, if you think a bar parallel with the ground, that the shoe just slides on it, that's then perpendicular to it. Well, that bar is too long for it to go in that KMW bottom middle on my foundation. So I had to get another trigger. And I was too impatient to get the, to wait for the Timney, uh, not Timney, shit, the Trigger Tech two stage diamond that i was going to get so i got a special and it's a single stage and i'm really starting to like it i mean i like two stages and i probably will end up buying that uh when it's all out and available and everything i haven't even been keeping up with it but um yeah, i'm really liking this special with the single stage um and really i've had uh a few other like Timney 510s and other rifles, and they're great for, you know, hunting rifles. I've got them in a couple of mine. Uh, and then, like I said, my Tika triggers with the Yode trigger spring is a great factory trigger. If you just put a $10 spring in it, it's, it's great. Um, that's about all the real trigger experience I have, different manufacturers. I, I know Jules, Jules used to be the go-to back in the day, but, man, you better keep you some uh, some lighter fluid with you. Uh, in a dusty match because jewels will fuck your day if you don't have the ability to clean it or change it in a match um and i know uh uh bix and andy's are very popular attack sport pros and all that stuff and i've i've pulled a couple times on one uh shot shot at one a couple times and it it does feel good um you know it just like i said just like there are action manufacturers there's a ton of trigger manufacturers and they all got a bunch of different triggers in their line um today is the best day honestly 2020 is the best time to be in this game unless you you actually wanted to shoot and we can't do that now because of uh the uh the wubonic plague the the woo flu um the wu-tang virus i'm sorry i'm done i'm, I'm sorry i'll just keep on um but uh, we've got so many options for everything. We've got options for bullets, ammo, brass. Um, I mean, all the barrel manufacturers, chassis, stocks, scopes, everything. There's nobody has had it as good as we have it today. Period. Nobody who's ever gotten into this game has ever had it as good as we have it. Why? Because the free market, bitch. Free market is awesome. When they saw the money. The, the interest in that the, our sport is growing so just like rapidly that these people are investing money. Boom, boom, boom. Everybody's fucking fucking Daniel Defense has got a damn precision rifle. Look, ain't nobody shooting that thing in the PRS. And it's like, it's like, like either this year or last year is like official rifle, the PRX. I've never seen one in my life in person at any match or even gun stores. I've never seen one. Uh, the Delta Five or some shit like that. So everybody is trying to get into this space. Well, you'll get a bunch of those happen, but then again, you'll get a bunch of 
you know, these companies that come out of nowhere that are just doing shit right, like, like Trigger Tech. You know, where was Trigger Tech six years ago? I don't know. I didn't know them. You know, they're just boom. And now they're the best triggers for Remington 700s that you can get. Right. I mean, it's it's the best time to be in this. You're lucky if you're just getting into this. You're lucky because you have more than 308 to shoot and, you know, more than than just a, a you know, a Manners A4 with a Leupold, Leupold Mark four and some Badger ordnance rings, which are great rings, by the way. <coughs> Corona. Um, you've got more options now than anybody has ever had. And especially for you getting into it with the production uh, genre, right? You've got more of these entry-level rifles that you're paying very little money for that, I mean, you could shoot for a couple years before you outgrow them, right? The Tika Tac A1, the Bergara... Uh, HMR Pro with the the um, premium action or whatever the the regular action sucks ass. The pro, premium action is actually a pretty nice feeling action and works pretty well. Um, the uh, what are some of the other ones out there? Uh, the new Savage. The new Savage looks pretty cool. They uh, got some new shit going on with their bolt and it's in a, a, a MDT ACC. Uh, I can't stand the AccuTrigger, so that sucks. Um, but I mean, it's still a good rifle. I mean, Scott Sadley is out there, you know, bum rushing people in matches with that and just wrecking, wrecking people with it because I mean, he's a phenomenal shooter, but he enjoys shooting that rifle too. Um, so if you're shooting production, don't go shoot where uh, Scott Sadley is shooting because you're going to lose. Um, and, uh, I mean, you got, I mean, there's just multiple other ones. I mean, even Remington decided to get on board and come out with one in 6.5 Creedmoor instead of their dead-ass 260. Um, but it's still a Remington. I'm not a fan of modern-day Remington. Um, I'm a fan of them as a company of what they once were, not so much of what they are now. They're just, I'm not going to get into that right now. We'll be here for another hour. I'm already at an hour 45. Um, but, it, you know, a budget, you know, OEM optics that are that are very good, I mean great even for what you're buying. Uh, you can get into a rifle optic, you know, muzzle brake, ready everything ready to shoot a match right now under like two thousand dollars probably or twenty five hundred, like your whole setup if you wanted to. And I mean you can spend as much as having you know, 15 grand in a setup if you wanted to, right? Uh, but you can have something, you know, something that you want to see if you want to get into this, but yet you don't want to struggle your first time. And so you go this route and get one of these more like competition, entry level competition production rifles. Hey, you're going to, you're going to have a much better time than, than, you know, going out with your hunting rifle. I mean, honestly, and then you don't have that big of an investment. If you decide you don't like, or don't have time or something else, whatever reason or the other. Um, and then you could sell it, but you know, I would suggest getting into one of these, uh, entry level rifles at first, and then maybe just rebarrel that into something to use as a trainer later. Don't sell it. And, and you grow out of it as a shooter and go, go into the more custom route or like even in like an AI or 
or whatever, or a full blown custom rifle, you can, you know, you can still have that rifle, that, that entry level rifle and still have a use for it. either hunt with it. Uh, you know, teach your friends to shoot on it, you know, put a 308 barrel, a six, five Creedmoor or a 308 barrel on it and get your friends shooting, you know, get them involved. And then they'll go buy them a rifle and that y'all, you got somebody that, you know, that's going to be right there at the same level as you shooting matches together. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, or, you know, like I say, use it as your own training rifle. You know, so say you have been shooting 6.5 Creedmoor in a Tic Attack A1 and, you know, you want to move up to, you know, you want to go get you that impact action. Go get the impact in 6-Dasher or BRA or something like that, right? Well, use that Tic Attack A1. It's still a damn fine rifle. Just go use that for, uh, you know, Shooting still out there on the farm or at the range training or with your buddies or whatever, there's still a use for it. So, you know, even though it's not going to be like that one thing that buy once, cry once thing, it's buy once, use forever. That's the way I look at it, you know, and all it'll cost you is barrels from then on out. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple of those here in my gun safe. But um, bags, that's the last, last thing. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll get into brakes first. Brakes. Um, I have had every PVA brake there is, and every one of them in order, like chronological order, have all impressed me more and more every time I've they've gotten a new one. Like even the Mad Scientist, which is like the the original PVA brake that Josh did. It is. I would still shoot a match tomorrow with it. It is still that good. Um, it's still that good of a break. Um, but you know, the mad scientist, I've got a rocket scientist that it's on one of my AI barrels right now. Um, the, I can't even remember all the jet blast, the original three port jet blast, got one of those, the four port jet blast, which is optimized really for six dasher as according to Josh, it's going to be way more friendly for the person sitting laying down next to you shooting right like on a on a shooting line you're gonna be way more friendly there's other breaks out there that when i hear one i don't have to look at it. i know what break is on it and there's a couple of different ones that are that way that as soon as i hear it, i was like yep he's got that break i bet and then I'll go look and exactly what he's got on his rifle. It's just that. I'm sure it mitigates plenty of recoil, but it's just that fucking obnoxious to be around as someone else shooting. And now you may not care about that. And that's fine. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't either. But when I can have both, when I can have that optimal recoil mitigation, but yet not be a complete asshole next to everybody, um, then that's fine. When I'm not shooting suppressed, you know, I like to be as friendly to the person next to me as I possibly can to their ears, at least because when you lose your hearing, it is fucking gone. It is gone. It is gone. Not like getting glasses. You know, even with hearing aids, your hearing is gone. Protect your ears. People. I need to get into those. I've got, you know, I'll do that another episode. Um, but the, uh, I've got the, um, new shockwave break. And I've got that on a six Creedmoor. And let me tell you something. It makes that six Creedmoor. I mean, I mean, it's, it's a six Creedmoor. It's a six millimeter anything. And it's just a Creedmoor. It ain't like there's going to be a lot of recoil to it. 
But there is more recoil in a 6 Creedmoor than my 6BR or my 6 Dasher. Uh, there just is. And I'll tell you, it makes recoil comparable as much as a 6 Creedmoor can to a my Dasher as I could ask for. I mean, I feel, I mean, it, I've got video of me shooting the stage with it. Um, and you would swear my rifle does that my rifles, like it doesn't move at all. You know, it's like a modified prone. My rifle, you see puff of smoke coming out of the break and you hear boom, but you don't see the rifle recoil at all. And I'm not saying I'm the greatest at recoil management because I'm not, but I mean, I think that's a testament to that badass break. That break is a behemoth and it, it works. Now it's not going to be very friendly to the person next to you. But um, it is a phenomenal break. Uh, Josh is not out of the park, and he keeps coming out with breaks. And when he comes out with a new break, yeah, if you want to get one because you need another break, then get one of the new ones. But don't feel that your other PVA breaks or even other manufacturers' breaks are inferior. That doesn't make them work less. They still work the same. You know, it's, they don't, they may not work as well as the next one, but that still doesn't mean that you weren't complaining with your break, you know, yesterday before you bought this one, right? So still continue to shoot them. They're still good breaks. They don't go out of style. You know, a break is a break. As long as the break works, it stays put where it's supposed to and it mitigates good recoil, then bam, roll with it, right? So, um, you know, there's tons of different breaks. They got the 419 Hellfire and, uh, Shit, what's their other one? Sidewinder, I think. Um, you know, you've got uh, what's the ones with the uh, tunable system? Shit, that's the new guys that came out last uh, shot show, I believe. They um, like a tunable per caliber, and then it's this pretty cool idea. Um, you know, your your APA little bastards and stuff. Uh, I'll tell you, everyone knows that little bastard is as loud as it can fucking be. And so is the regular bastard. They're all a bunch of bastards. They're louder and fuck, but they, they do work well from what I'm told. Um, uh, let's see. That's, that covers breaks. Good enough. I mean, how much can you talk about breaks? Uh, I'm coming up on two hour mark here. Bags. All right. Bags are, um, kind of like boob shapes. Everybody kind of likes different boob shapes, I guess. So bags are going to kind of be like what you like. Um, you know, I've got, oh, I've had them all. Fuck, I've had them all. I've spent a lot of money in bags. Um, I think I'm good now. Like where I'm, I've got a system. Like I got what I what I want. Bags, as far as a rear bag, I now I have, I could be that one bag does everything guy. I could. I don't know that I would enjoy it as much, but yeah, I can make it work with my um, fortune cookie, my mini, my wax canvas uh, mini fortune cookie with the uh, Griffey shit on the inside of it. I just got that one and I love it. And my other one, I just had the normal Whiskey Charlie um, mini fortune cookie and I loved it. I could run a match with just that. I don't think it lends itself to be a good rear bag as maybe like a full-size game changer or even the pint-size game changer. I think the game changer does a little bit better at being a impromptu rear bag or some people's de facto rear bag. Um, 
but I, I'm a big fan of my tab gear rear bag. Every time I am forced to use my, my support bags as my rear bag. And then like on the next stage is a prone stage. And I go back to my tab gear rear bag. I'm like, ah, oh, that feels good. Like that's, that's where that's home. That, that feels so, so much better when I'm prone. Um, I just feel I can change levels of elevation when prone quicker and, and easier than I can with a big uh, support style bag. But as far as support style bags, um, I have a, like I said, the two wax canvas mini fortune cookies, which I am in love with when it comes to just running a normal barricade or anything like that would be, uh, you know, like a two by four, a four by four or anything like that. I have yet to find a bag that I can get my rifle as stable. I'm, I'm bringing my computer over here so I can just like finger fuck my bags. I love them. I have yet to find a bag that I can get as stable as I can these wax canvas mini fortune cookies. I got the the original one when it first came out. And then that fucking barricade at Paul's, uh, with the six by sixes that have got 45s going both sides, it, it, it really hurt my PP. It, it hurt my feelings. And this thing has got the grippy shit and I have zero problem believing that it will, and we have tested it. So I know it'll work. It will hold at 45 degrees and hold my rifle supported on those 45 degrees. So that's the only reason why I bought is for situations like that. It's the only reason why I bought the or bought another one because my original wax canvas mini fortune cookie is, I mean, it's so broken, like your favorite hat or your favorite shoe, you know, shoes. They're, they're just so comfortable. I mean, those old basketball shorts that you've had for, you know, 20 years that you just can't get rid of because you love being around the house in them. That's the way this bag is to me. I have sewn it up. I have patched it, repaired it because I have put it through hell and I love it. Uh, I'll never get rid of it. But um, I did acquire, and you may have seen this on Facebook or Instagram. I have a full size uh, OG, I guess, or I don't know what it's called. I think it's OG. Uh, game changer that with the go light feel. Super light. Weighs like a... a pound and a half or something i haven't weighed it and then i got the just f and send it um monogrammed and it looks really cool i'm really happy with that um i it will be a special purpose bag so let's look at it i will have three bags with me at a match i'll have my tab rear bag i will have my wax canvas fortune uh, mini fortune cookie and i will have this and it's light too i didn't want a heavy one it's, it's the light one. Um, I got it to take up big space, uh, a large surface area. If I'm shooting off of something uh, that I need a little bit more elevation, uh, because I have got to, I've been bit multiple times with by using only my wax canvas uh, mini fortune cookie, where it was just not high enough for me to be able to see the target from whatever I was shooting off of. And it wasn't a barricade. It was tires. It was a pipe. It was uh, certain things like that, that has a lot of surface area that you lay, basically lay the bag on a side or whatever. And 
it the wax canvas uh, the mini fortune cookie would just kind of like collapse into nothing and i'm like well shit i'm looking at the ground i can't see my target i gotta pull the rifle way back and pull it off the edge of the barricade rather than if i had a bigger bag i could literally just about get prone like with my elbows supported by the the obstacle the tire or the pipe or whatever and so i got a full-size bag and i get the go light fill like i said because i didn't I want it didn't want it heavy i've tried running it on my barricade to see if i like it uh more so than my um mini fortune cookies and i'll be honest i cannot get as stable on it as i do my mini fortune cookies uh these things i will forever be a wee bad customer it is an awesome um is an awesome bag and i'm a, I'm a big fan i have a normal fortune a mini fortune cookie just like the normal fill and it's um it's a bead fill so it's not heavy but it's not like a go light fill but i use that hunting i take that with me into the deer stand um i mean it's i mean i don't know it's definitely lighter i don't even know how much it weighs it's probably like three pounds maybe but um yeah it it goes into the woods with me so it's perfect. I feel like the, the fortune cookie lends itself a little bit better for shooting off of plywood. Um, it kind of folds into itself a little bit better, I believe, than the game the game changers do. But I also have a pint size go light wax. Oh no, I don't know if it's wax or not, but a little pint size game changer with go light fill. I could take it too, and it's super light, and I might hunt with it some this year, give it a go. Um, but it actually does work as a pretty good rear bag. Um, so if I was in something that needed a small bag to run as a support bag, then move to another position, which I didn't even take it with me in the last match, I don't think. But I could eat and then go to a rear bag. I could easily use this bag, and I, I really like this. Um, but I don't use it as much. Um, so, you know, there's people get the uh, Warhorse, the, the tactical utter shit. Um, I've only used one a couple times and I was not a big fan of it. I know some guys say they would never, they would pick that bag over any other bag on the market and, and go into any situation with it. I, I don't see it. I mean, I, I believe them and I'm glad they like it. And I, I'm not hating on that bag at all. It just wasn't, it was not for me. I used it on a stage that I was forced to use it on because that was a sponsored stage by uh bison tactical fred's a really good guy no offense fred i love you um you have a great company we've talked before he's got family that lives near here where i live um we've talked um i just i'm not a fan of your bag dude uh that i I don't know really what maybe it was just like it was too tight like the the it was too full and it, it was not pliable like it wasn't really um malleable 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 um yeah it i it just felt like it was just boom so rigid i should say i was not a fan of it um maybe they've changed since then maybe you need to like run over with your truck kind of like a new baseball glove like break them in or something and maybe they're like then the best they're they're the cat's ass at that point i don't know i never I, the one the experience that i've had with it i did not have a good experience with it i was not a fan um i also have a solo sack a short action custom solo sack that used to be the 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 go-to you know bag you know around the beginning of the game changer days when when they first came out the the solo sack was kind of like the 
in, in, in the fortune cookie were like the three go-to bags or whatever. Um, I've, I've used it in a few matches and, um, I like it. Uh, it definitely has its, um, merits and it definitely has its, uh, times where it shines better than maybe some of the other ones, but I just don't find it as versatile as some of the, as some of the other, excuse me. Um, if, let me go grab it so I can talk with my hands and like you can see me. Um, if it, if you took the solo sack and then you kept it in the same shape that it's in, like a big cylinder shape, but yet you uh, divided it into three sections. That way, all of the sand couldn't go in. If, if you know, if you get what I'm saying, so like you've got an, uh, you got the two ends in the middle, and they're separated by stitching, right? So it's still the same shape. So if you take a solo sack and you were just grab it, like a top third, and then you grab the bottom third, right? The same amount of sand that's in it. All they would need to do is just move the sand and stitch it closed, like every third, to where all the sand can't go to one side of the bag, if that all makes sense. See, right now I'm holding it by the strap and I've got nothing but material in my hand and then the, the solo sack is packed hard. It is literally like a, a, a military sandbag for a bunker. If you could keep that from happening, this would be the, uh, the ultimate barricade bag because you see like guys like David Preston uh, running a solo sack on a barricade with his with gray ops he's obviously the one of the owners of gray ops and with his um, amp plate right when you see him move the reason why david preston is one of the reasons why he is so fast on a barricade is because he is so efficient in his movement and one of the movements that he's efficient in is he picks when he picks up his bag it is with his rifle, and it goes straight down, and boom, he's shooting. So it, there's no messing with the bag or picking the rifle up, then picking the bag up, putting the bag down, putting the rifle down. There's none of that with him. He picks it up. Now, I've tried to implement that, but what I kept finding myself doing is when I'd go to put the bag back down on the uh, the second time, so after I'd shoot first position, go to second position, picking it up with my rifle, the sand would move like the majority, 70% of the sand would be at the end of the bag closest to me. And it was, um, it then it was then no, no longer stable. I was like, if I could get the same amount of sand to stay equal in the whole length of the bag and just, that's it. Just lay flat. It would be, the ultimate, uh, I don't know how David Preston, he's just that good, but he has got it down. He's probably practiced it, um, a thousand times more than I have. But, uh, if it was just easier for me to, with this solo sack to just keep all the sand where it belongs, basically evenly distributed amongst the bag, no matter the position of the bag, as far as, you know, tilted in any direction, the bags, the sand stays where its prospective place is. It would be the ultimate uh, uh, barricade bag. Like there'd be no reason to use anything else on a barricade, like a, a PRS skill stage, where you know it's timed tiebreaker stage. Boom! Like it would be the fastest way to shoot a barricade. Period. Other than no bag at all, if you can get as stable as quick. Um, 
but that's my history with bags. Um, and uh, about, I guess, everything to go into as far as equipment. I mean, yeah, there's tons of other equipment, spotters and binos and tripods and stuff like that. Bipods. I should have done bipods, but um, I might do a part two or at least like uh, I, I'll touch on this in another episode. It won't be what the whole episode's about, but I'll go into this stuff you know, more like bipods. Um I mean, barrel blanks are kind of hard to do. Maybe some uh, other like reloading equipment, um, stuff like that. I know reloading is a lot of people's, um, uh, you know, interest to where they want to hear more about reloading, not so much about shooting gear, but more about reloading gear. We'll go into that because I got some, I got some cool gadgets and stuff. I spent some money in reloading. Um, but uh, as far as the gear that I wanted to cover uh, tonight, that's that's about it. And, uh, I only other really announcement that I have anything I want to cover is, um, I have started a Facebook group for the just F and podcast. I have sent everyone on my friends list on Facebook an invite to the group. Um, if you are not on my friends list on Facebook, uh, but yet you don't want to be, I guess, or, in, or if you're not on Instagram, uh, you need to search. I made it public, easy to find, should be at least. Uh, I'm gonna, before I get lying to you, let me go over here to it and just search the just FN, the letters FN, send it podcast. And that is the group name. And, um, We've had a bunch of people uh, join in and post in post in here, and uh, I mean, tons of people. I've already um, added some stuff, and basically, what I wanted it is a place that I can do announcements, and um, which I have another big announcement after I'm done with this one. Uh, place I can do announcements, kind of like all one spot, and then also a place where you can easily. Um, we can have discussions about an episode. If you had a question, y'all want to talk about, you know, my feelings on fucking communist, uh, we could talk about that. Um, or if you have suggestions that you want of things, it'd be an easier place for you to say, Hey, what do you think about this? And, you know, or, Hey, how about talk about bail break in procedure or some shit like that. You know, uh, that's a good place for me to do it and uh, to see it and you get us to interact. And um, I'll post some videos in there too, just some other little bonus content and uh, um, post funny shit and then reference it onto the um, on the podcast and stuff. But anyway, guys, the the downloads have been great. Um, the uh, new followers, um, I'm getting they're, they're trickling in every day. Um, but I need you guys to, uh, do some sharing and, uh, and, and put the word out there about the podcast. Now, regarding that, the podcast is now available. And I don't, if you're friends with me on Facebook or Instagram, you probably saw it. Uh, I don't know about Instagram, but the, um, the podcast is now available on pocket casts. It's, I Googled it. It's the second largest podcast hoster or I don't know what the fuck you call it. Downloader app uh listening app in the world apparently or in the country at least and it's on there i don't know much about it i've never used it but um 
probably, I'm hoping that as soon as I upload one onto Podbean, it will automatically, since I put in my RSS feed address into the Pocket Cast, hopefully it automatically updates it into um, into the Pocket Cast app. So if you don't like Podbean and you're only listening to it because of maybe this podcast or someone else's podcast, uh, and you enjoy the podcast, the, the Pocket Cast app, it's there for you. I've tried to get it on Google Podcasts. They want too much shit for me to be able to do it. It's so hard. You would think these companies with these apps, if they're if they're apps that if you have the ability to record your podcast on that app, it's super easy. But these other apps like Pocket Cast, Google uh, Podcast, um, and, and, and iTunes and stuff like that, they want like a whole lot of extra shit just to, uh, for you to even find where to then post a podcast. If you want to start a, ch- uh, if you want to start a channel on their app or uh, whatever, it, they they don't make it very easy. I had to like Google how to do the shit. Because I was like, well, where I downloaded the apps. I'm like, well, this is just for listeners. Where does it go for the content providers? Where do you, where do you go? It wasn't very friendly. Now I'm sure if you're way more versed in in technology and apps and fucking shit like that than I am, then you may not have a biggest problem with it. But when my retarded ass, I was like, where, I don't know where to find this shit. So uh, Pocket Cast was probably the easier of the bunch. Um, Google wanted some shit. Uh, said that. All right, my RSS feed does not match the podcast title because I had my Podbean app and account before I even thought about doing a podcast, right? So I never changed it. And it said that my the podcast name has to be in the address, like the title, or, or had to be in the RSS feed link. And it's not. So it's... I don't know. They want me to do some other shit, and I don't feel like I'm doing much change and stuff. So Google can suck it. Um, but anyway, go enjoy it there if you like that better than Podbean. I've never had a problem with Podbean. I don't know why people hate Podbean app. It, it's never not worked fine for me. You know, I, I like the way it it uh, operates. So, but hey, everybody likes what they like. So, um, again, guys, thanks. Um, we're up to like. Uh, what's that? Thirty, about thirty-five hundred downloads. Um, pretty psyched about that. That's bush league to some, but it's better than I expected. Uh, keep it going. Sorry on the big pause, man. This coronavirus has got my shit all fucked up, and I know it's got all got your shit all fucked up too. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get back to normal. Um, tired of the social distancing. I'm a social butterfly. Um, I'm ready to get back to work. I'm ready to not be around my youngin all day, every day. Um, but you know, I know you guys are in no, really no better shape than I am. So we're all getting through it. Just don't drink too much. Don't become an alcoholic cause they suck most times. And, uh, just be safe out there. Don't get the, the Chinese, the Chinese shit. Don't get it. Um, cause it's from China. And, uh, anyway, guys, if y'all have any questions, comments, bitches, gripes, complaints, you can hit me up on the Podbean app. You can hit me up on Facebook or Instagram or the new Facebook group or the Pocket Cast app. So, appreciate it, guys. Uh, I'll try to get one out next week. Peace.